Morning, everybody. How's it going today? Woo, good. Lots of cheering. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. Want to say good morning to our friends over in the family room today. Glad to see you guys there. So, yeah, you got to glad to see them, right? Thank you. You know what the family room is here, you guys? Yeah, we've got a whole worship gathering go, going on next door in the block down in the basement we call the family room. And uh, so glad to see you guys today. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I want to pray. We're going to look into scripture together, but I want to pray first uh, before we do that. All right, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for who you are and the way you're working among us and in us. Uh, I keep hearing stories of the things you're doing in people's lives to bless them and to lead them forward in their relationship with you. So thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for my friends in both rooms that we're gathering in right now. And just, I just ask your blessing on all of them and that you would do amazing things to show them who you are. Lord, I want to ask today also for uh, your mercy. I want to ask that you would do something remarkable in our nation. We are in a season where there's a lot of turmoil because of race. And I believe, Lord, that we don't understand one another. One group can't figure out the other group, and the other group can't figure out that group, and, and it's not going well for us, Lord. And so I just ask that you would bring mercy to our nation, that you would bring peace to our nation. When you uh, sent your son into this world and you had the angels announce his coming, they announced peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And I pray that we would experience that in our nation, and I pray, Lord, that we would experience it because... Christ's followers lead and churches lead in connecting with one another and believing in one another and loving one another. And so, Lord, I pray you'll give us that grace. I pray for our own community. Lord, many here at Lakeside have been affected by the loss of this young man's life this week. And I just want to pray for him, his family, and that you would bring mercy to them as well. And Lord, again, in our community, would you, would you bring peace among us? Would you bring peace to our children? Would you bring peace in our neighborhoods? Would you bring peace between us? Everything that gets in the way of peace, I pray that you would remove it. And may we be courageous enough to... Be the ones who remove those things that block peace. Lord, you have this beautiful word that the Hebrews, the Jewish people use. It's the word shalom. It means wholeness. And I pray that that would be true in our, in our own souls this season. I pray it would be true in our households this season. I pray it would be true in our community and in our nation and in our world. Bring shalom. Bring peace. And Lord, today we want to look into your scripture, so I pray that you'll teach us and lead us, guide us in the path you have for us today, and be honored among us, please. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, can I just take a moment too and add to the um, appeal that Jamie made here in this room and that Kevin made over in the family room, just about inviting your friends to come for Christmas. We're going to focus on this theme at Christmas this year. Silent, bright lights and silent nights, which I think is such a beautiful 
uh, and, and in some ways unfortunate picture of how Christmas goes for us. There's a lot of bright lights and celebrations at Christmas, of course, and we get engaged in all of that stuff here at Lakeside. But there's also a lot of silent nights among us. There's a lot of people that are broken, and they feel that more during the holiday season. They feel it more during Christmas season. And I just want uh, to get the invitation out to as many people as possible to come and to hear the message of Christ. And you are surrounded by people in your neighborhood, in your network, what we call an oikos. You are surrounded by people who need to hear the message of hope. In Christ, And so do everything you can this season to get those invitations out, to invite your friends and neighbors and family, and like Jesus said, compel them to come in so that we get to share the story with as many people as possible. All right? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So, oh, good. Thank you. All right. So, good. So let's move into Scripture today. I, I, we've been talking for the last month about this theme that we call God 3.0. And it's all about this idea that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that blows our mind. We don't really know how to get that. We sort of understand God the Father, because all of us had a Father in our lives. We may, may, he may have abandoned us, but there was a Father in our lives somewhere, and we at least sort of get the concept of what a Father does. And so we have God the Father, and then we have God the Son, and God the Son, we sort of get his role too. Jesus came and lived a holy, holy, holy life, and then he died on a cross. He gave up his life on a cross to be able to rescue us and to bring us to the Father. And so we get Jesus, and we talk a lot about Jesus, and then there's this third person in the Trinity called the Holy Spirit, and a lot of times we don't get him, and so we sort of just set him aside. It's like, I don't know what that's about, so let's just talk about the Father and the Son, and Spirit What? And sometimes we leave the Spirit out and we say, we, know, we need to focus on who the Holy Spirit is so we know Him and so we get to know Him and we understand how He wants to work in our lives and be engaged in our lives. So we're doing this series. We found out as we go along that the Holy Spirit's primary function in this world is to glorify Jesus, which means to point to Him, to make Him visible. Jesus is invisible, so the Spirit's role is to make Jesus visible. That's what He does. And the Spirit of God practices this amazing meekness. You know how Lakeside, we talk about we love meekness, and we're not always good at it, but we love it. We love this idea that there is power that God has given to us, but it's under control so that we're not like, oh, we're the best, we're the greatest. No, we have power to serve one another. And the Spirit of God exercises this amazing meekness because he says, it's not about my ego, it's not about me. In my life, it's going to be about Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I can to glorify Jesus. That's meekness. And then he expresses that meekness not only through himself, but he says, I'm not just going to glorify Jesus myself. I'm going to invite human beings to help me, which is a really risky endeavor. Because we mess it up sometimes. But he says, I'm going to invite you to come in and help me glorify Jesus and point to Jesus. And so he gave us gifts. Every one of us who's a follower of Jesus has been given gifts from the Spirit, and those gifts are designed to help people see Jesus through us. And so some of you have the gift of teaching, and some have the gift of mercy, and some have the gift of giving, and some have the gift of hospitality. And there's all these gifts that God has given to us, and he says, I want you to use them. Because your gift, your giftedness has been given to you by God so that you would help other people see Jesus. And when you sit on your gift, you deny people the chance to see Jesus clearly. So whatever gift he's given you, use it for the glory of Christ. 
And then he said, and that's not enough because if you just exercise your gift, it might lead to disruption in the church because you go, like, my gift's better than your gift. So he said, let me give you some fruit of the Spirit as well. And so he built these things into our lives, and he wants them to grow in our lives. There are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he builds those things into our lives so that they grow up in us because the clearest, simplest way to make Jesus known to others is through the fruit of the Spirit. When other people see you living a life of love, joy, peace, patience, etc., they begin to understand that that's Jesus living out his life through you. Now, today, I want to come to the end of this series little sad to get off of it because there's a lot more stuff we could talk about regarding the Holy Spirit, but I want to end it up today with what I think will be the most practical piece of our conversation about who the Spirit of God is and how do we relate to Him. I want you to ask this question. I'm asking this question for myself. I want to ask the question for you. How can I develop an ongoing, healthy relationship with the Spirit of God? In your life, how can you develop an ongoing, healthy relationship with the Spirit of God? Because sometimes it gets confusing. I mean, you were thinking about the Spirit of God, it's like, oh, I, I don't really know how that works. I want to hear from God. I want to know what He wants me to do. But sometimes it gets confusing. Sometimes we're seeking God's will. And we're like, God, just tell me what to do. But that gets confusing. There's a story in Jeremiah chapter 28 where it has two prophets in this story. And Jeremiah is one and Hananiah is the other. Hananiah says, I got a word from the Lord. And he tells the king this message from God. And the message was, king, you should go to war. You should lead the nation of Israel into war. And then Jeremiah gives his message. He goes, I've heard from the Lord too. And thus saith the Lord, you shall not go to war. Well, one of those dudes is not listening to the Spirit of God very well. My brother was up. We had a bunch of family members over for Thanksgiving last week. And so my brother was one of the ones who got to come. And and he was telling me about their church in Southern California. He serves on the elder board, the elder team of their church. And so uh, they're having this conversation about what to do. The, the church there is surrounded by residential homes. And over the years, the church has had a strategy of when those homes become available for sale, the church buys them, trying to expand their ability to do ministry in their community. And recently, finances have been tight in that church. And so they're struggling, but the church has an opportunity to buy one of the houses that is coming up for sale. And so they had a board meeting together, and one of the elders says at the beginning of the board meeting, Oh, guess what, you guys? The Lord told me we should buy the house. And the next person who spoke in the meeting said, Guess what? The Lord told me you shall not buy that house. And I'm thinking as the pastor, which one of those elders do you fire? Because one of them's not listening to God. Because God never speaks Yes and no to the same thing at the same time. Never. 1 Corinthians 14 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And yet when we're coming to a place where we go, I want to I follow the Spirit. I want to be in an ongoing, healthy relationship with the Spirit of God. We get confused about how to do that. And so I want to walk you down that road today and just think through, how do I establish and grow an ongoing healthy relationship with the Spirit of God. Fortunately, in the Scriptures, there are four metaphors that the Bible uses. There may be other ones, but there's at least four metaphors that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with the Spirit of God. 
And so I want to show you those metaphors today and let those comparisons help us understand how do we have that relationship with him. So if you have your Bible, let's open up and uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to come to the first of the four metaphors in Ephesians chapter 5. This is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, this is what I want you to know and to do in relationship to the Holy Spirit. So here's what he says, Ephesians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first metaphor that the Bible gives to us to understand how do we have a relationship with the Spirit of God. He says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. So I love this. Sometimes when you come to Scripture, there's a few times in Scriptures where it says, this is God's will. Because we're always like, I'm confused. I don't know what God wants me to do. You know, like, what college does he want me to go to? Who does he want me to marry? What job does he want me to take? What house does he want me to get into? You know, what God, what's your will for me? And he starts off very clearly. He goes, don't be foolish, which is good advice. And then he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's just going to lay it on a platter. Here's God's will for you. He says, don't get drunk with wine. And some of you are like, that's cool, I I drink beer. (laughs) He goes, don't get, wait for it. (laughs) He He goes, don't get drunk with wine, rather be filled with the Spirit. He goes, that's what I want you to do, but that's not all that helpful because it's a metaphor. Be filled with the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, let's just describe what that looks like. To be filled with something, you can, there's a lot of different ways you're going to understand that metaphor, that picture, right? One way to understand filling something is you can put a glass on the counter and fill it with liquid. You could fill it with milk or water or wine or whatever. So you've got a glass, you fill it up, and now you've established a static relationship between whatever's in the glass and the glass itself. So you've got a glass of wine on the counter, and it's just sitting there. It's just a glass, and it's got wine in it, and it's static. And every now and then you might come, uh, you know, buy and pick it up and drink, a gl- drink part of it. But then you put it back down and it just sits there. That is not what Paul's talking about when he says be filled with the Spirit. He's not trying to get you into a static, standstill relationship with the Spirit of God. It's much more like this. If you were a sailor and you went out on a windy day out on the lake and you hoisted the sail, suddenly the wind would fill that sail. And as soon as the wind fills the sail, what happens to that boat? It enters into a dynamic relationship with the wind. It moves. It goes forward. Whenever you're on a sailboat and you say it's time to hoist the sail, you're saying it is time to move. And the wind comes in and it fills that sail and the boat then responds and goes forward. That's what he's saying for us in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Hoist your sail up and let the Spirit fill you. Which is fascinating because the, the, the Greek word spirit is the word pneuma. It's the word we, from which we get pneumatic, like pneumatic tires and things like that. It means to fill with air or to or have air. The same word is the word for wind in Greek. So when someone hoisted a sail and the wind filled it, it was like the spirit filling that sail. So he says, how do you have an ongoing healthy relationship with the spirit of God? Hoist your sail so the Spirit can fill it. Isn't that helpful? No! 
I don't know what that means. You're using another metaphor for the metaphor. I don't know what that means. Okay, keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's figure out what this means, all right? Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul, in a parallel passage, describes what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Does that sound familiar? That's almost word for word what we read in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, it's translated a little bit differently in English, but it's all the same stuff. Psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit and sing to God and, be, and show gratitude in your heart to God. That's all the same, almost word for word from Ephesians 5 to Colossians 3. The only thing that's substantially different is the first phrase in both those paragraphs. In Ephesians, the first phrase says, be filled with God's Spirit. The first phrase in Colossians says, be filled with the word of Christ. How do you hoist your sail so the spirit fills it up and you move forward in your relationship with God? How do you do that? You do that by being filled with the word of Christ. You have the word of Christ with you. If you carry a Bible, you have the word of Christ with you. If you have a smartphone, you have the word of Christ with you. It's called version. It was the coolest thing, coolest thing ever on version. They actually would have someone talk to you about, they'll actually have someone read the Bible to you. You get on the treadmill and they'll read it for you. It's like, it's like the creator of smartphones just said, here, here's a way to listen to the Bible. He says, oh, the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word dwell is the word oikos. It's our word that we use here around Lakeside to talk about those people around us, 8 to 15 or so people around us that God has strategically placed in our lives. So that we would love them and serve them and care for them so that God will enter into their life. It's, it's the word here translated dwell. He says, let the word of God be in your house. You who are family leaders, husbands and wives, uh, um, dads and moms, you who are family leaders, is that the tone of your house? Does the word of Christ dwell in your house? Does it live in your house? And does it live in your neighborhood through you? Does it live in your network? Does it live, on your, does it live in your job place? He says that the word of Christ richly live within you, in your house, in your network. Some of you go, oh, I, I, can, I can't do that at work. They won't let me bring the Bible into work. They can't stop you. Why do we wimp out when it comes to bringing God's word into our workplace? We go, oh, they won't let me do it. Well, you don't have to drop the Bible on your desk at work to bring God's word richly into your workplace. You've got to get it here. If the word of God is here in you, they cannot stop you from carrying it into your workplace. Let the word of Christ richly live in your house. In your network. And be filled with God's spirit. Now just before we move off of this first metaphor. The other ones are a little bit more simple to get. But just before we move off this one. 
Let's go back to what Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which I know is going to mess up some of your holiday season. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we have, we have, we have euphemisms. Uh-oh. We have euphemisms for being drunk with wine. What, what, what else do we call that in our culture? Oh, good, you don't know. <laughs> so how about intoxicated? He's saying don't be intoxicated with wine or beer or bourbon or whatever your thing is. You know, don't be intoxicated with it. You can take that over and say, well, the parallel statement is don't be intoxicated with that, but be intoxicated by the Spirit of God. Or we, we talk about it, when you, when you talk about someone being drunk and they're behind the wheel, what do you call that? DUI. We, we, we understand it so clearly we've got a little acronym for it, right? It's uh, driving under the influence. We go, oh, you're under the influence of alcohol and you're driving. What if we took that and we said, oh, that's what, that's what Paul is writing about when he says be filled with the Spirit. He says don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be under the influence of the Spirit of God. How do you get to be under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life? Make sure that you're under the influence of the Word of God in your life. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. See, we've said this over the course of the last month when we're having these conversations about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to fill the people of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to influence the people of God. Do you want to be filled with God's Spirit? Then be richly filled with His Word. And you will find yourself coming under the influence of God's Spirit. That's just how it rolls out. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Word of God. Now, that's the first metaphor that Paul uses. Then he goes on to some other ones. The next three, the last three we're going to talk about are all found in Galatians chapter 5 and 6. So if you have your Bible, turn back to the left a little bit to Galatians. And let me show you these other three metaphors. These are a little bit easier to grasp than the one about filling. But look at this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the next metaphor. Walk by the Spirit. Walk with Him. You all know walking? How many of you are, like, used to walking? About 40%. The rest of you have seen it done, right? Walking, walking. We, we, I have this tradition. We have this tradition in my family after Thanksgiving after the Thanksgiving meal, and you've all had way too much stuffing and mashed potatoes and stuffing and pumpkin pie and stuffing. You know, got all this stuff going on, stuffing going on. And uh, so we, go, we take our whole family. We had like 20 of us here together last week for Thanksgiving. Uh, my, my daughters were here with their husbands, and my siblings, some of my siblings were here. And so we all got together. And when dinner was over, uh, Donna kicked us out of the house. She's going to do some cleanup, but she goes to everybody else, get out there and take the walk. So we're, we got like 20 of us walking around our neighborhood, and some of you know this story about, and uh, I haven't told it for a while, so some of you will be new, but about 15 years ago, I found out that I have a long-lost sister that I'd never met. I was 40 years old, and I found out that I had a sister that I'd never met. Ten years ago, on a, on a Saturday night leading into Mother's Day, I'd just finished our worship gatherings here at Lakeside, and I got home 
I was getting ready for bed. My wife handed me a letter that came in the mail that day. She goes, I think you should read this. I said, I'm tired. I'll read it tomorrow. She goes, no, I think you should read it now. And it turns out it's, the letter started out like this. Dear Brad, this is your sister Susan, my long-lost sister that I'd never met. I'm 50 years old, and she writes me a letter. And, uh, and we started getting connected. Turns out she's lived in Reno all this time. She lives closer to me than any of my full siblings. Well, for Thanksgiving, she came down, and she spent her first family holiday with her siblings for Thanksgiving. It's amazing. And we're getting to know each other. I mean, how do you, have a, how do you be in your 50s? She's in her 60s. How do, you, how do you get to know a sibling at that age in life? So we had this tradition at Thanksgiving. We take a walk after the meal, and we got like 18 or 20 of us taking this walk. You can't all walk together, you know, so we sort of break up. You got pairs or threesomes or maybe a foursome going down the bike trail behind our house or whatever. We're walking, and what happens when you walk with somebody else? What do you do? Talk. So that's what we did. I mean, it's just the coolest thing, right? It's easy, and so we're walking along, and she's talking. So I'm just kidding. She's talking a little. She likes to talk. It's really good. It's a good way to get to know her. So she's talking, and then I'm talking, and then she's talking. And then I've used up all my words between Saturday night and Sunday morning for the whole week. So then she talks, and I get to listen, and then I get to talk a little bit, and she listens to me. And we got to know each other more than we had so far. Scripture says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. What do you think you're going to do when you walk by the Spirit? You're going to talk. Well, when the Spirit's going to talk to you, what's he going to say? I don't know. That's the mystery of it. <laughs> oh, but how about this? How do you get filled with the Spirit again? Be filled with the Word of God. Be filled with the Word of Christ. How is the Spirit going to talk to you in your life? He's going to talk to you through the Word of God primarily. If you get filled with the Word of God, you're going to be hearing the Spirit speak to you. Oh, and he lets you talk back, too. It's called prayer. And so you have this ongoing conversation between you and the Spirit. He speaks through the Scripture. You speak back to Him in prayer. And you have a conversation. You build this relationship. Now you're filled with God's Spirit, and you're walking by God's Spirit. And you're getting to know one another. And then he goes on in verse 25. He says, let me give you another metaphor for this. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We already live by the Spirit. Now let's keep in step with Him. That's not that hard to grasp either, right? So my girls came for Thanksgiving as well. My two girls, they're, uh, they both just got married this last year. I think most of you know that. I talk about it all the time. So they got married. They brought their husbands with them. So now we got Thanksgiving, got the daughters and the husbands. It's different, but it's cool. It's really cool. And uh, so we all got together, and uh, we decided on Friday after Thanksgiving, we would go down to the Folsom Ice Skating Rink. You know, around the, around the train turntable down there. And so we did this ice skating rink. I don't know whose brilliant idea that was, but it wasn't mine. <laughs> Turns out my daughters are both really good ice skaters. Who knew? They grew up in Folsom before we ever heard of ice rinks. But they're really good ice skaters. And so they're out there, and they're skating with their husbands. And they're leaving their dad behind. <laughs> And there was a moment, there was a moment when my younger daughter didn't have anybody skating with her. And so I skated up to her. But she's really good, so, and she's really fast. She's like, wow, wow, wow. It's amazing. And so I'm just, I go up to her, and I'm like, oh, I want to have some time with my daughter. I'm going to skate next to her, but it's everything I can do to keep up. 
I'm, you know, she's on the outside. I'm on the inside just to cut off some distance so I can keep up with her, you know. And, we're, I'm, and as I'm trying to keep up, she's trying to catch me up with her life. I'm sucking wind out there on the ice skating rink. And so I'm just asking her little questions. How's marriage? Oh, it's fine, Daddy. I love it. It's really good. We're doing really well. And she's telling me about their marriage and how great it is and how wonderful things are going. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful to hear. And then she got a real job, like 40 hours a week, dress up, go to an office, all that. She got a job. And so I'm like, well, how's your job, honey? Oh, it's, it's good. I'm doing this and that. She's telling me about all this stuff. And we're talking and I'm catching up while I keep in step with her. It is not her job to keep in step with me. It's my role to keep in step with her. A lot of times when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we want him to keep in step with us. But it's not the Holy Spirit's role to keep in step with us. It's our role to keep in step with him. And how do you keep in step with the Spirit? How do you keep your life up to pace with where the Spirit is? You let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You let the word of Christ live in your house and live in your network and live in your soul. Let it fill you. So, Paul tells us, be filled with the Spirit Walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he gives us the last of the metaphors. He says, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, will, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The last metaphor is about farming. It's about planting something. Everybody is planting something. You may not be a farmer. I doubt any of you are really farmers, maybe one or two. But you're not farmers. But everybody's planting something in your life. You are sowing something. Paul says, God is never mocked in this. Whatever you sow, that will you reap. And so if you sow to please your flesh, which the world is doing all around us, if you sow to please your flesh, from your flesh you will reap destruction. Why do you think there's so much destruction in this world? Because we sow to the flesh all the time. He says, but if you sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Now that's not saying that if you do enough good things, you'll earn eternal life. What he's saying is, eternal life is a different kind of life. I have eternal life now. It's a different kind of life. He says, if you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap a different kind of life than what you have. Plant in such a way that you please the Spirit of God. Now, how are you going to please the Spirit of God? Well, I already told you how. It's not about what house you buy or what college you go to or who you decide to marry as long as you follow the directions that he's already planted in the scripture. He says, plant this in your heart and live this out in your heart. Plant it in your lifestyle, in your actions, in your choices. Plant the word of Christ in there and you will reap eternal life. You will reap a relationship that is healthy, 
that is ongoing, that is steadfast with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shake the people of God. In my life, someone taught me to memorize Scripture, and I started putting blocks of Scripture into my heart because I thought I need to plant it in there. If you come on Sunday morning to Lakeside and you hear the Scripture once a week, that's pretty good, but that's not letting it dwell richly in you yet. What about hearing it on Monday or Tuesday or reading it before you go to work every day or before you go to bed every night and planting it in there so that it shapes you and it influences the life God has given to you? Be filled with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and plant in your life the Word of God so that you please the Spirit in your life. That's how we stay connected in a healthy way to the Spirit of God. Father in heaven, I want to pray for us today. I am so grateful that you have chosen to send your Spirit into our lives. We need you. Lord, we desperately need you. And along with your spirit, Lord, you have also generously given us your word. You have generously given us these these books in the Bible that describe you and describe what you're like and describe how you want us to live and, and who you want us to be. And so thank you for that. Would you fill us up with this? Would you fill us up with your scripture? Would you fill us up with your word and would you fill us up with your spirit? And may our lives and the lives of our household and the lives of this world be different because of it. We ask for the glory of Jesus. Amen.